name is Chi. I'm a senior at Santa Clara. Um, I am also a student inclusion educator with the Office for Multicultural Learning, um, which basically means that I am a student worker who works and plans um, events for students. So we do stuff like digital dialogues where we talk about um, social justice issues that we're personally passionate about. And we can also do like pretty much anything we want. So that's why I got this um, like idea to interview you for this project. Awesome, love that. Yeah, um, so if you would introduce yourself um, just for context, that would be cool. Yeah, my name is Dr. Kai Harris, and I'm an assistant professor of creative writing here at Santa Clara University. Cool. Um, so one of the things I was actually really curious about, because we have a class together, and so that's how mm -hmm. I, I found this, like, nice segue into being able to interview you. Like, obviously, <laughs> I could have like, sent you an email randomly, but... Um, it, it was less random uh, because I had you. So I was really wondering how long you've been at SCU? Yeah, uh, I just started here in the fall. So oh. yeah, not too long. Oh, wow, that's so cool. I think I actually ran into your husband the other week. Yeah, you did, <laughs> you did. He told me all about it. He said he like dropped into OML just to say hi to folks and um, found out that that you were my student and he said you were really excited and I asked him you know did it seem like she likes me and he said yeah so oh, that was good I news. do I do <laughs> to remove any doubt from your mind I definitely do I really enjoy <laughs> our class so far um for anyone who's listening who doesn't know I am in Dr. Harris's fiction writing class definitely recommend I love it take it for your arts core take it for fun um and so yeah this is your second quarter then and so how are you yep. how are you liking it so far here at Santa Clara? Uh, it's been great you know it's it, I, I always say that like this has kind of been a weird time to start a, a new you know to have this many life transitions like we my family and I moved from Michigan to come here so that was already like a huge thing by itself but also like moving during a pandemic um, starting here during the pandemic, you know, um, you know, switching between teaching virtually, you know, teaching in person, teaching hybrid, um, all of those things have have definitely come with challenges. But um, I love I love being here. Obviously, you know, the weather is great coming from Michigan. This is a big, big shift. Um, but I love the English department. Everyone has made me feel so welcome since I've started. And um, I love I love, love, love my students. I've, had the opportunity to work with amazing students like you um, and teach the, the stuff I love to teach. So it's been really great so far. Oh, I definitely do agree with that. Like my favorite part about Santa Clara is not only the weather, because obviously that's a given, but the faculty. <laughs> like, gosh, all of my professors have been just so amazing. And that's one of the memories that I'm definitely going to cherish because I'm graduating early. Like, oh, awesome. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, please, I want more time. Um, yeah. So I totally get it. Like, having your first kind of like experience teaching or moving being virtual is so wild like yeah yeah, yeah. so sure. I totally get that like having my pretty much my entire like university experience be virtual and like my last quarter be semi-virtual has been really interesting yeah I'm sure yeah um and so a segue from that is how how have you been um one week after your book launch like with the whole virtual aspect and like hybrid aspect? Yeah, wow. It's funny because when you just said that, 
I realize that it's been one week. It feels like it's been like either like 30 seconds or 30 years. Um, <laughs> it's been a very wild ride so far. Um, it's It's been really great though. Uh, there's been such great reception um, for the book and it just makes me feel so, so good. And uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to enjoy the ride at this point. So I'm feeling I'm feeling good. <laughs> nice, yeah. Like I feel like this is one of those things where the train has left the station, and like wherever it is <laughs> now, it is it is on its way. Exactly, it's outside of my control. So I'm just riding, you know. <laughs> enjoy the wind, enjoy the breeze. Yeah, it's been one week. That is so wild. Um, I I can't imagine too many things have changed in a week, other than maybe people getting started on the book. Um, so, I mean, that is obviously just a good thing. So congratulations, yeah. Ryan. That is so exciting. Yeah. So, yeah, people have, have started reading. Some people have finished reading the book. Lots of people have um, tagged me in posts and let me know that they read the book in a day or two, which is amazing. Um, yeah. So it's been, really it's been awesome. Cool. That's so <laughs> cool. Oh, that's so awesome. Wow. Um, so let's get into some of your background, like in terms of writing. Um, I'm curious as to know how you got into writing in the first place. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's always complicated for me to answer because I don't exactly remember like the moment. Um, um, I was always writing something. Like I, I started out when I was a kid just like writing poetry. And unless my memory made this up, I think at some <laughs> point I like got a poem published. And I was like a really little kid in some like anthology of, of kids' poetry. Whoa. Just like loving that feeling and being like, oh my gosh, this is so dope. My words are like in a book. And so I think that at that point I kind of had the, the, the itch, you know. Um, but I did get into fiction for a while. I actually, I was writing poetry a lot as a kid and then I got into um, playwriting. And so I really cool. loved writing plays and was like writing plays like from my church, was, you know, really into church and like wanted to write these like epic church play so I was into that for a minute and then I got into screenwriting and I thought that, oh. that was like it and I was like this is a career for me I really wanted to be a screenwriter because I also I love film and um, I did film school for a couple years and um, worked a couple film sets and then I was like I just still isn't exactly right for me but I knew that I was going to be a writer I was just trying to land on like what that would look like and so fiction writing was actually the last like kind of writing that I got into and oh, then interesting that yeah and then it was the one that stuck wow that is so interesting I never I've personally never like really dabbled in other versions of fiction like um mm -hmm. I do write for fun just like as an outlet not really journaling but just like fiction um and so I've I've always just stuck with like just basic fiction writing and like a very yeah. specific genre of it too like mild fantasy fiction writing um yeah so that is so interesting like how you managed to transition from poetry and you went to school for screenwriting so like that was pretty serious like you were actually involved <laughs> in that medium yeah, yeah, I was pretty into it. It's it's super fun, and and honestly, you know, Dreamboard. I would love to to still write a, a film one day, and you know, maybe I'll be lucky enough to write a, a film based on one of my books. That would be that would be the dream. But yeah, I, I love uh, just trying new new forms of of writing, and I you know I recommend it to everyone. Just you know, have fun with it. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that would be so cool. Um, I think it's like worthwhile. It's like, you know, artists using different like paints or something like or right. oils or charcoal, like it influences the way you share your story. 
Um, so I guess that kind of does answer my next question, which was how long you've been writing for. It's so cool that you've been writing since you were a kid. So it's like, I feel yeah. like everybody writes, but if you don't write with intention, you don't really grow. Um, so it's really cool that mm. you've been like creating since you were a child. Um, and so yeah. <laughs> that kind of, there's not really a good segue for this, but um, this is kind of like the major question that I, I'm sure you've had already. But uh, what is the world of publishing like for a Black woman? That is a big question. <laughs> you know, I, I I can't speak for for everyone's experience. My my journey, I think, is is has been um, really amazing in ways that I know that the journey hasn't been for other Black women. So I want to point that out up front. Um, you know, I've been really lucky to work with the folks that I work with. Um, I think that one of the big challenges of of being a Black woman in publishing is just uh, wanting to stay true to your voice and your vision. And sometimes that's not possible um, in this industry. And so, um, you know, for me, I say that I've been lucky because I uh, signed with an agent who's um, also a woman of color who I, you know, didn't have to explain to her why it was important for me to maintain my voice and my vision. She already knew. And right. so that was a big part of it for me is, uh, you know, working with an agent who believes in me and believes in my voice exactly as it is and didn't feel the need to change anything to make it more marketable or, you know, mm -hmm. more palatable or what have you. Um, so that that was dope already to begin with. Let's and go. then uh, we signed with, um, we ended up selling the book to, to Tiny Reparations Books, which is an imprint of Kingdom Random House that's led by Phoebe Robinson. Um, from Two Dope Queen, um, actress, comedian, author, etc. Phoebe is uh, dope, as you know, as you would expect. Know, yep, yep. And um, she, again, you know, has from the very beginning just believed in my voice and wanted nothing else but to champion my voice exactly as it is. Oh. So that's, um, it's, it's honestly been a dream come true because when I was going into publishing, it was one of my fears. I was worried that, you know, some people were, were giving me, giving me warnings and horror stories. And I, I just yeah. kept wanting to think that doesn't have to be my experience. I don't have to sell out. I don't have to compromise who I am or what I want to say mm -hmm. um, to, to put my book out in the world. And I just really believed in that. And I think that I mean, I, I know that I'm, I'm proof that it's possible. It's not possible in every situation, but I do think it's important to fight for what, what matters to you. And for me, you know, I really want to tell stories of, of Black girls and Black women that are authentic, that are unfiltered, that are honest. And I wasn't going to let go of that no matter what, even if it meant that I wasn't going to ever, you know, traditionally publish this book. That was, that was fine with me because I knew the story I wanted to tell and I, I couldn't compromise that. Yeah, I think that is definitely 100% really valuable. And like, I mean, once it's in the store, like it's next to all those other books published by all those other people. So <laughs> you know, whoever's picking up your book um, deserves to hear your story. And I think yeah. that's so important that like you're here and that you made that because um, similarly, I am, I have kind of a similar experience being like a woman in STEM um, and mm -hmm. not just a woman in STEM, but like a woman of color in STEM. Right. So you hear all these horror stories and I'm like, oh, like, what does that mean for me and like my career? But I have also enjoyed the privilege of like being at Santa Clara and having like mm -hmm. female faculty and like women of color who are faculty who are support supporting me or like my mentors. Yeah. And so like, I think it's important to find people who understand you like unquestionably 
Um, Absolutely. And get where you're coming from because some people just won't get it. Like, yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to explain, but I totally understand that. Yeah, we get we get each other. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for sure. Oh, um, and so this kind of answers your next question a little bit, but um, I wanted to get into the specifics of what the fireflies knew. So, mm -hmm. um, how did that look for you? Like, what did the journey to getting uh, what the fireflies knew published look like in terms mm -hmm. of like writing it or like the creation? So the book started out as a short story that I wrote during my master's program when I was living in Nashville, Tennessee. And um, so this was probably 2014 or 2015 when I wrote the original story. And it was very different. It was, you know, I, I believe the, the, the character was the same, but she wasn't the same. She had the same name. <laughs> but um, at that point, I was kind of just really basing the character off of myself because I was... Uh, I think that I think I was writing based on a prompt, honestly, and I was supposed to be exploring like um, place or memory of place. Actually, this is an assignment that I've had you do before. Oh. <laughs> so, awesome. um, yeah, pretty similar assignment. So I was, uh, but it wasn't, we're doing Flash in our class right now. And this was just, um, you know, traditional short stories. Um, so I wrote this story and it contained two of the scenes that still exist in the book. The very that is first, so cool. Yeah, yeah. The very first scene that I wrote was the scene, the firefly scene, um, which uh, later I think we'll talk about because it, it inspired the title of the book. Um, and then there's a scene where um, KB looks for caterpillars with her older sister Nia. And that scene was in the original story. So I wrote this story. And I liked it and I was interested in it and other people were workshopping it and they were interested in it. And people kept saying, like, there's so much here. You could, you know, really turn this into a whole book. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I wasn't really interested in, in writing a book. And if I was going to write a book, I was like, for whatever reason, not going to write that book. So I tried to start writing a different book. And I noticed that, like, every time I tried to, like, write longer projects, I was just not finishing them. I would, like, get to a certain point and then kind of just fall off the project. Um, and I didn't know why, but I think that ultimately it had to do with the fact that I was, at that point, I was like writing these, these books that I thought I was supposed to write. I was writing oh, about yeah. characters who I thought I was supposed to write about. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, mostly white characters. And I was like writing stuff that I didn't really know. And that was why I would like fizzle out at some point because like, it was hard for me to keep it going, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, so at some point I was like, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to try to turn this story into a book. And so I started working on it. And at first the same thing happened where I just reached a point where I wasn't writing anymore. And I was kind of baiting on the project. And so I was like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to query an agent, right? Because I knew I wanted to, uh, ultimately I knew I wanted to traditionally publish. And I started getting super excited about you know, traditional publishing. I was like researching everything. I was like, oh, okay. So like, this is what you have to do to get an agent. Okay, I'm going to start doing that. So mm -hmm. like the first thing you have to do, once you like find an agent that you like, you have to send them a, a query letter where you, um, you know, they'll ask you for specific things. It might be that they want you to send a synopsis of the book and like some sample chapters. Um, right. So I found this agent that was interesting to me. And so I, you know, created and I sent her this stuff over and, I was thinking like, all right, I'm going to do this as a way to like jumpstart myself to like be, make it feel real so that I'll go ahead and finish writing this book. Mm -hmm. um, but what ended up happening was 
the agent loved the sample chapters I sent over. And she awesome. was like, you know, well, well it could have been awesome. Except <laughs> she was like, well, you send over the full manuscript. Oh. And so what I didn't realize is that when you query an agent, you, you're supposed to have the whole book already written. Oh. <laughs> um, and I didn't, obviously. I had like maybe two or three chapters written. And so, um, so yeah, so I decided to, you know, do the right, the, the, you know, the thing that probably everybody would do in this situation. And I was like, I'll just write the book real fast. <laughs> like, I guess I'll just write it. <laughs> no, like, right. When my essays do, like, been, I guess I'll just write it right now. That was the exact, that was the exact energy. And, you oh. know, and, and honestly, I was like, I was like that in college. I would, Ooh. you know, be, I could write essays like that, you know, um, mm-hmm. with no trouble. So I was like, I'm gonna just write it real fast. So, and I did, I wrote it real fast. And um, I wrote it in less than a month um, oh. because I think that this, like, I sent the email out maybe like December 6th and then by like December 31st I had finished the book and I sent I sent it over to the agent um who you know up until that point I just completely ghosted like I never responded to her email and then I just wrote back to her like almost a month later as if nothing as if no time had passed and I was just like hello you know as requested attached. yep Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So, but anyways, um, ultimately she, she passed and because, you know, at that point I had ghosted her for a while and, uh, the book wasn't that great because it was just my first draft. So mm-hmm. I spent years after that revising it, getting it ready. Um, this entailed me like reading a lot, writing a lot, revising a lot, workshopping a lot, making a ton of connections. Like those were the main things I was doing over that like three year span of time. And those are the things that led me to be able to ultimately sign with an agent um, in 2019. And um, yeah, so then once I signed with her, we had to revise everything all over again for probably another year or so before we ended up um, submitting it um, and selling it to Wow, what a journey. That is so yeah. <laughs> oh, I feel like that origin story is something you would never hear in real life. It would be like, it would be like, I don't know, like a short story, like a flash fiction piece where it, this kind of scenario <laughs> happens yeah it's so like interesting I can't imagine that happening because it feels so like out of this world but um yeah. you kind of like one of those where um your older si- your older sibling or whatever goes through this experience and then tells you all the secrets like hey before you sit here <laughs> your story is finished yeah I know right that's something I'm telling everybody now make sure it's done in case they ask um so yeah. you said the original story was a short story. So like in terms of like word count, if you even remember, how much did you have to add? Oh, so much. I mean, uh, yeah, I think the original draft of this book was, um, it was shorter. It was maybe 60, 60,000 words, maybe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the point that it was a short story, I mean, when it was a short story, it was, it was very short. It was maybe like seven to 10 pages. Um, And then by the time I queried the agent, I had like, I think the first few chapters. So yeah, I mean, maybe the first two. So I I maybe had, let's say 20, 30 pages written when I queried her. And then by the time I turned it in, the last time it was 160 or so pages. Jeez, nice. It's a big difference. (laughs) Yeah, you got to work. Like, dang, you sat down. (laughs) Wow, that's yeah. so cool. Um, that's really awesome. So it sounds like you spent a lot of time revising. And obviously we mm-hmm. learned about the importance of that in class because part of writing is not just like the creation of it, but the revision of it. 
Yeah. Um, and so do you have anything to say about that process? Like what part of revision works for you? Oh man. Um, so I've, I've grown to like really love revision. Okay. Um, honestly, I think that it it's, it's maybe my favorite part of the process now that I think I have more of a system for it. But at first it was just like extremely chaotic and stressful <laughs> um, because I like, you know, I sat down with this whole book and I was like, how am I supposed to revise a whole book? Because, you know, it's like dominoes. Any change you make is going to affect all of these things elsewhere. Right. And I wasn't realizing that at first. So I would just like make a change and then not notice how it had set off something somewhere else. So it took me a while to get into the rhythm of like how I revise. And, you know, I say this to y'all in class all of the time, but it was really just this process of me having to like figure out how I do it best, like what works for me when it comes to revision. Because I was hearing all these writers say like, here are the ways that I revise. And like, it, they sound really cool. You're like, hear what someone else does. And you're like, oh, that sounds great. I'm going to do it just like that. Mm -hmm. But then when you sit down and try to do it like that, it maybe doesn't work for you. Yeah. So I found out like some things that work for me. Like, first of all, I have to have a physical copy. Like I can't revise on my laptop because when I'm on my laptop, I'm like, I'm, I'm drafting. I don't know. It's just a different mindset. Yeah, so definitely. to step into the space of like a reader, somebody who's like taking this thing in, I need it to look different than it looked when I was writing it. So um, I'll usually print out my drafts and put it in a binder. And then I'll read the whole thing that way. And I'll try to like read it the first time and not make too many marks, but I will, um, I'll, I have like a little highlighter color code system thing. And if like, if there's something I absolutely love, I'll highlight it a certain color. If there's a place where as I'm reading, something's off or confusing, I'll just like highlight it my, my confusing color. So Ooh. I'll do things like that right away. And then I'll go back and read it again and start to make notes for myself. And then I'll go back and read it again and actually start to like cross things out and write things in. So it's like a pretty long process. Mm -hmm. um, I've also gotten in the habit recently of like using um, Kindle. So you can oh. like email your documents to your Kindle email address and then you can read the, you know, uh, the, the, the doc like it's like a book in your Kindle. Oh, that's, so that's so cool. also, yes, that's also been super helpful as a way for me to like uh, just engage with it differently. So yeah, revision is like, it's such a long process, but now I've like kind of figured it out. I use some, you know, some tools, like I use Trello a lot for revision. I have Trello boards for like all of the things that I write where I keep track of like, this is, this is, uh, you know, the part about the dominoes. Um, I use like Trello boards to, you know, keep track of where everything ties together so that I know that if I make a change here, this scene is also tagged that way. So like I have to go to all the tagged scenes and change whatever. Um, and I also sometimes just like go super old school and I'll just like use a big poster board and a bunch of like, you know, colored index cards and like each card might represent a different plot point mm -hmm. or a different character arc. And then I'll, you know, just literally lay everything out all over my floor and start moving stuff around and piecing stuff together. So I have some different things that I do. It depends on like how the revision is going, what the project mm -hmm. is and that sort of thing. But it's honestly my favorite part now because that's where like the magic happens, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's where yeah. like the words actually turn into uh, a story or a book. Yeah. Oh, like ever since you, I've been stuck on the image of like the index cards because I'm just imagining that meme where the dude, like the conspiracy theory guy, yeah. <laughs> like the red, the red string. Um, yeah. So cool. I've never thought about 
using index cards. I do know someone who, um, when they write, she prints out her entire, like, book or whatever she's writing, mm -hmm. and then she, like, goes over it in a red pen, and I'm like, oh my god, that is so much work. But it sounds like that's yeah. a really common technique. Um, yeah. I guess the most important thing that you seem to be saying is it needs to be, it needs to look different, um, in, mm -hmm. in a different form, so then your eyes can kind of, like, look at it again. Um, yeah, that, that helps me, really but, good. you know, I think some people can, like, look at it on their computer screen and just start revising, so, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's something I kind of do, but similarly, I have to like change the font. Um, mm, I can only write in Garamond. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I love Garamond. It's the Garamond's best font in the world. My best one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Like, if I weren't in Garamond, I'd be in like Times New Roman, but I have such an academic kind of like vibe to that. I can't write anything for fun. Like, my creativity right. is stifled on TNR. You're so, you're so right. Yes. If I'm writing creatively, it's Garamond. Like, if I do anything else, it just. It's just so nice. Yeah. It's my best friend. Um, so then I would change it to like I don't know, like Ariel or something, like something really <laughs> different. Um, yeah, yeah. Then it looks different, and so maybe I, I love that. That's really cool. <laughs> I don't know. That's something that has worked with me in the past, but I don't really make a habit of revising just because, like, who who does that when you're writing like essays and stuff for school? I just turn it in <laughs> and I call it a day. I'm like, good luck, professor. <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I'm so mad that you're telling me this right now. <laughs> Wait, we haven't even had our chance to do our workshop revisions yet, so I will, I will. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I will, don't worry. Um, but in my previous classes, don't tell those professors. <laughs> okay, okay, you see good safe. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, oh my gosh, revision is, I feel like, yeah, a really understated part of writing, the writing process that people who yeah. don't write don't get, and maybe even people who do write don't want to get but it definitely definitely is yeah <laughs> right and so this is another really bad segue but um the next question i was wondering about was so it's february and as we know it's black history month and um you've said you spent like years working on getting this like book together and like revising it and so did you plan on your book release landing on the first of february in 2022 Oh man, I wish I was that thoughtful. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't, uh, you know, but uh, I work with a team of highly skilled professionals mm -hmm. and they, I think they plan for it. Um, you know, they, they're the ones who, they're the ones who pick the date. And, um, you know, I think that we were all excited for it to come out on the first day of Black History Month. That was a very yes. special, very special uh, moment for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, stuff like this makes me feel like, I don't know, it kind of goes back to being like a woman in STEM or like even because I identify as a lesbian. And so I've been like under the kind of guise of feeling like I've been tokenized um, mm -hmm. like at school or like, you know, wherever. And so I kind of always worry about things like this, where it's like, do you feel like you're being tokenized unless you're being authentically represented? Then you right. do feel like you're celebrating um, like this week. Um, I'm celebrating Lunar New Year with the Office of Multicultural Learning. And so mm -hmm. having like my involvement in that and having my own foot in that makes me feel less like I'm tokenizing myself, being like a woman yeah. color and celebrating my own like, I guess, stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's just really what I was curious about. Like, how did you feel about that? And if you're like authentically, like genuinely happy about it, because I think it's so yeah. cool for like non-Black people to be able to celebrate the month by like reading your book. And hear yeah. a story from like about a black girl from a black woman like that is so so cool and important. 
Yeah, you know, I think what you said is so right that it all depends on like where it's coming from. I was thrilled for the book to come out at this time because I know why my team made that decision. And I knew that like it stemmed from a place of like, this is going to be such a great moment. Like we were, I think at first our launch date was going to be a bit later. And then they were like, you know, we don't want you to miss out on the opportunity to be a part of these Black History Month conversations. Right. Um, And I'm happy that they made that decision because I've loved being able to do this. I have, you know, I have uh, this opportunity um, to speak with you and I'm um, speaking at San Jose State University next week. Mm-hmm. Um, for Black History Month, and I did a, a Black History Month kickoff event with the African American Community Services Agency in San Jose. So um, it's been really wonderful to work with organizations um, to kind of have these conversations that are really coming from a place of authenticity mm-hmm. uh, for people wanting to like highlight the book and talk about the book in this context. That's been really amazing. Oh, that's so awesome! That is so so exciting. Um, yeah, I'm really I'm really glad that you did say yes because. For the Office of Multicultural Learning, we're putting together things to also celebrate the month, like social media posts. What am I doing? Yeah, I saw them. (laughs) Yeah, um, they look really good. I didn't make them. I didn't make mine yet, but I will (laughs) next week. Um, One of my colleagues is doing like a blacklist, like Obama's blacklists, and so she has like a list of novels. And so I like slid your novel in there. I was like, I saw that. (laughs) You gotta represent. (laughs) Thank you. I saw that. That made me so happy. Oh, I'm so glad that, yeah, like that the timing of it worked out um, because for non-Black people, I guess they don't really know how to approach like Black conversations. Like I have mm-hmm. a friend from overseas who is, um, she's Black and she's from New Zealand and mm-hmm. people are so afraid of saying the word Black that they call her African-American and she's literally not even American. Yeah. And so I think about that a lot and I'm like, wow, that is a conversation we desperately need to have. Like, absolutely yeah like what she's not even american and you're obsessed with calling her african-american instead of black i don't know that was that was like a turning point for me in my conversations about like bipoc communities and being like a woman of color but also being non-black um definitely yeah. a turning point for me yeah you know it's it's all about education and i think at this point i just feel really honored to be like able to say stuff you know to be able yeah. to uh, to be trying to like build a platform to be able to to talk about this and you know for me it's like i i write about blackness like period that's what i'm writing about i'm writing about the black experience i'm writing about black girlhood and black womanhood i presume that that's probably always what i'm going to write about um, and so, you know, for me, it's very important that I'm, I'm wanting to show people to not shy away from this. Like, there's there's nothing wrong with, like, saying this is a Black writer who writes about Blackness. Mm-hmm. That's that's true. That's the reality. And there's and that's perfectly great, you know. So I yeah. think that, that education is super important. And just us having these kinds of conversations will, will hopefully make a difference. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I feel like that's the difference between, like, um, addressing like anti-racism versus kind of taking a neutral stance and being like colorblind, yeah. which is like as damaging almost as, you know, being actively racist. Um, right, right. That's, I think it's definitely so important. It is even something to celebrate. Like that is so cool that you're here and like your face is on the book and you're representing. <laughs> so yes. that is a little, a sneaky segue to my next question. Um, yeah. Do you have any specific thoughts or feelings or intentions on representation in media? 
For sure. You know, I, like I said, I really wanted to write this, this book that's about Black girlhood because, you know, I, I think that it's so important for uh, people to see themselves in literature. And, you know, when I was growing up, it was rare for me to see characters that I felt like looked like me, were like me, had lives like mine. Um, there, you know, there weren't a ton of, of books that I was reading back then where, you, you know, young Black girls were the main characters. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like trying to find them, at, you know, as hard as I could. My, my uh, teacher in fifth grade introduced me to Maya Angelou. And um, I, that, that was also when I was like super into poetry. Ooh. And um, so that was probably one of my first literary influences and then I you know found out about Toni Morrison and you know I've I've been down that rabbit hole ever since um, <laughs> but you know just like it but when I was a young kid I didn't see myself a lot in, in literature and I think that um you know as much as it's important for us to read about other experiences because I definitely think that that's important too mm -hmm. we need to read about experiences that are unlike our own so that we can develop empathy so that we can, right. you know, start to understand other people's points of views and lived experiences. But it's also really important that we're seeing ourselves in literature. It, it, that helps us to feel validated, to feel, you know, I, I thought for years that like something was wrong with my life because it didn't seem to look the same as like the lives of the people on the TV shows I watched and in the books that I read. Definitely, um, definitely. And, you know, it's a long time to realize, like, there's nothing wrong with my life. And my life, and it's not that my life is so different than other people's lives. It's just that my life is not represented here. Um, and so I wanted to be a part of making sure that that happens. And, you know, I, I said something I wrote in my acknowledgments for the book that, like, I hope that reading this book will make someone begin to feel Aww. seen. And mm -hmm. I hope that it will also allow someone else to begin to see, you know, a new perspective. Oh. So, yeah, I think it's very important. Yeah. Oh, that's so insightful. That's very cool. I do have very, very similar feelings regarding this topic. Um, mm -hmm. I, as a student at Santa Clara, um, I well, I for context, I grew up in San Jose, California, and mm -hmm. San Jose has the biggest population of Vietnamese people outside of Vietnam. But at Santa Clara, oh. the demographics are like wildly different. Um, yeah. And they don't even offer Vietnamese as like a foreign language. So oh, wow. I had to look for like a, a professor who understood enough Vietnamese to be able to proctor my like foreign language exam to, so I can test out of that. Right. Um, and so that was like a really alienating experience. I was yeah. like, I was like, this is so like weird and wacky. And I felt like I didn't really belong at Santa Clara, I guess. Yeah. Um, but my CF for my first year, my community facilitator, which is like <clears throat> an RA for non-Santa Clara people, um, mm -hmm. she, well, my first, um, she was my first CF ever, and she was a black woman. Um, and so having her in a space where I was, it was supposed to be my home, um, made me feel like I was an important person. Like having a woman yeah. of color, like older than me and still have like a mentorship role made me feel more at home. Cause like the rest of my floor, everyone was just white, just like white people. Um, in my right. English class, my creative thinking and writing class, I was the only non-white person in the room which was wow. wild. Yeah, not just like the first Asian or the first Vietnamese, I was the only non-white person. And so that was an experience. I was like, oh Lord, oh Lord, <laughs> what's going on? Um, and so me being here, working with the Office for Multicultural Learning and like being, I, I turned into a CF. Um, and so just like being there for students who look like me or have similar life experiences to me is like so, so important, especially like yeah. in STEM. I'm like, what is going on here? Like, oh, 
I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel alienated in my major, but at the same time, I want to be there for people who are like me. I don't know. So many feelings. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's so important. Yeah. So I just wanted to let you know, it means a lot that you're here and you're talking to me. And I think it's important that we do have this conversation. And so yeah, I I agree. Yeah. And so my next question has to do with um, still kind of like your background. You mentioned like Toni Morrison, Maya Angelou. Um, And so where do you, and also films. So where do you draw inspiration from as a writer? Wow. I I feel like I draw inspiration from everywhere, honestly. Um, (laughs) I, so, I mean, because I write really realistic fiction, I'm always just inspired by life and the world around me, like everyday things that happen in our lives. So, you know, I keep a journal and I also keep like a a note in my notes app that's just like ideas. And so if I'm just like going through my regular day and something happens and I'll think to myself, that would be super interesting. And sometimes it's like stuff that's going on with like my friends or my family or like in my own life. And I'll think like that's something interesting. And and usually the way that I write is like I don't end up writing that thing as it is or as it was. Mm-hmm. I take things that I've seen or experienced or witnessed or whatnot. And then I imagine like possible what ifs to those things. And mm-hmm. that's how I like fictionalize it. So you know, the, the book that I'm working on right now is um, based on something that happened when I was in high school, but what happened to me in high school doesn't happen in the book. Instead, I took what happened to me and I imagined like two really specific what ifs about that situation. Mm-hmm. And that was the basis for that book. So I'm just like, yeah, I'm just inspired by the world around me. But uh, I also, of course, um, derive a lot of inspiration from, you know, specifically Black women authors like Toni Morrison, um, Jasmine Ward, Zora Neale Hurston, um, writers, you know, who have influenced, like, the ways that I look at voice and the ways that I look at, you know, authenticity in dialogue and the ways that I look at setting um, and storytelling. So that's also been a huge influence. Oh, that is so cool. It feels like, to me, um, or it sounds like you have a lot of inspiration, like, wells to draw from so have you Mm -hmm. ever or do you ever deal with writer's block well you know I try not to say this because I don't I I think it makes people mad when I say it but (laughs) I don't I don't really I don't really deal with with writer's block oh I'm mad I'm mad I'm mad (laughs) (laughs) but I think the reason why I don't is because of the ways that the way that I look at writing like I I can always write Mm -hmm. um, but it's because I've trained my body to do it so I think I used to get writer's block back when I felt like, oh, I, I have to like wait for inspiration to strike and I have to like be creative to sit down and write something. I used to feel that way 100%. And yeah, and that was why I was always turning in everything like at the last minute. <laughs> Um, because yep. for some reason, inspiration only struck when the deadline was like three hours away. Yeah, the name of the episode <laughs> is called Stressed Out. <laughs> Exactly. That used to be my my cure to writer's block. But these days, I think that um, I try to keep a very regular writing habit. Um, I try to write every day. And like, I mean, like so far this year, I've written like every day except for, I think, two days. Mm -hmm. Um, And it could be like anything. It's, it doesn't mean that like I'm like sitting down and I'm like writing my next novel every single time I sit down to write. Sometimes I'm not feeling like that. And so I'll just work on a smaller project or I'll just like journal a lot or, you know, what have you. But I'm writing all of the time. And so I've trained my body that like, OK, when I do these certain things, it's time to write. And so it's like it's like I 
I discovered this switch to like turn my creativity on. So I'm no longer like sitting around waiting for creativity to strike. Mm-hmm. I like know how to get it, get it going. So that's probably the, the biggest difference. But there'll still be times when I'm like working on a specific project and I can't figure out like what to write next or how to move forward. So that still happens to me for sure. And when that happens, I usually rely on getting away from that project, working on something else, you know, or else I'll like do writing exercises from the point of views of like my characters um, or things like that. You know, usually when I end a writing session, I try to end on, um, I try to end with like the start to the next thing. So instead of like ending at the end of a scene, so then that would mean when I came back the next day, I'd have to figure out like, okay, what happens next? Now I have to like really brainstorm and figure out what happens next. Instead of stopping my writing session at the end of that last scene, I'll start writing the beginning of the next scene. And then I'll stop right in the middle of it. When I still know what's ha- what's going to happen next, I'll stop right there. Mm-hmm. Then when I start my next writing session, I've already given myself something. I'm already able to jump back in and start writing because I'm right in the middle of something and I know how to finish it. Right. Okay. So then by doing that every day, it's like I'm always giving myself like breadcrumbs to like how to how to keep moving forward. That's really cool. That actually makes so much sense. It sounds kind of like um, people who make a habit of like, I don't know, working out every morning. I'm always like, why, <laughs> how slash why slash what world do you want to wake up before sunrise to run? And they're like, oh, I just like it. Like you built this rhythm for yourself and your body like, yeah. gets used to it and you find yourself like actually enjoying it. And yeah. So it's like that. So it's like you your body's used to it but you've actually like found joy in it and i think that's yeah. so cool oh that's so cool um i do suffer from writer's block but i think it's for the same reason where it's like i don't have a habit of revising so i'm too invested in my first draft um, right right, that right definitely is good advice to take for sure yeah and so i wanted to get <clears throat> to some specific book questions about what the fireflies knew um do you have like on hand if you don't it's totally cool because the book's out and people can just google it people can use their google but do you have like um like a book blurb or anything that you usually share with people when you're talking about this novel um yeah i mean i can just i can just go off the off the the dome off the top of my head but uh, a little freestyle here uh no so (laughs) what the fireflies knew is a coming of age novel It's about a a young girl named KB who is 10, going on 11 years old, who ends up at her grandfather's house in Lansing, Michigan, um, to spend the summer with him. And it's uh, very unexpected. Her mother drops her and her older sister Nia off um, after the the death of their father. And so um, KB is now spending this summer with um, her grandfather, who she doesn't really know, and her older sister, who is... Uh, 14 going on 15 and not super interested in her younger sister anymore. Uh, But they're also both, you know, navigating uh, trauma and grief. And, um, you know, so the book is about that, about this summer and how KB, you know, uh, she does a lot of just like regular kid things. She's, you know, catching, catching bugs and trying to make friends. Um, But she's also, you know, exploring um, family history. She's trying to understand what happened in her family and she feels like she can try to fix things, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, ultimately her journey is of her, you know, working to kind of like mend family relationships and, um, you know, she wants to try to to get back home to to her her mom. Oh, that sounds so cute. (laughs) Um, I have yet to pick up a copy, but I've seen like the book description on like your publishing website and like on Amazon and Mm -hmm. it sounds really like sad 
So I'm like waiting yeah. for a weekend where I don't have anything and I just sit down and like just like cry about it. Like, oh, I feel terrible at the sheer amount of people who have told me that they cried. Oh, good but, to know. Good to know. Um, yeah, I've, I've been tagged in posts of people warning other people like don't read this book in public because no, literally. You, know, you will get found out. You will cry. So oh. it was not my intention, but I do think I, you know, I'm a very, uh, I love emotions. I love yeah. exploring emotions. I love being in my emotions. Um, so it's not it's not any surprise to me that I've written an emotional book. <laughs> oh, good to know. Yeah, I'll have like a bottle or something so I can rehydrate. Oh, no, I'm like bracing myself. I'm ready. I'm a heavy, heavy choir. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'm super stoked though. It'll be like cleansing. It'll be cool. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, what the fireflies knew. So she's like catching bugs and stuff. And you mentioned that one of the scenes in this novel was from your short story. Um, and so how does that like come around to give this book that title? Like, how did you come up with that title specifically? Yeah. So like I mentioned, the, the scene, there's a scene in the book where KB uh, is catching fireflies with her granddaddy. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the first scenes that I ever wrote back when this was a story. So, it, and it also happens to be one of my favorite scenes in the book. And oh. I don't know if that's because it was like the, the, the OG scene or like if it's, you know, something about the scene itself. I, I really love that scene because I wrote it kind of like based on my memory of of catching fireflies in Lansing, my grandfather. And so it's like when I wrote it, I could see it. I could like, I felt like I was there again. Um, so when I was trying to think of a title, I was immediately drawn to that scene. Mm -hmm. And, um, at, you know, KB refers to fireflies in a couple different ways. So at first, she talks about fireflies as something big, or sorry, excuse me, something small that can create something really big. And at that time, it's because she's like, you know, she's looking at these little bugs and she feels like they're like magic because they're so mm -hmm. small, but they're like lighting up the night, you know, the night sky around her. And so that's what she means when she says it then. Later in the book, she also talks about the same thing, but now the the small thing, the fireflies, the big thing that they create is um, they're the first things that start to bring her and granddaddy um, closer together. Like in a new way. So that was, you know, the main inspiration. And then the the new part of it, what the fireflies knew, mm -hmm. um, just refers to knowledge and truth and secrets. And, you know, that's what KB is, is kind of questing for throughout the book. Yeah, I think that is so cool. I, I am not really familiar with like fireflies as a symbol because we don't have them in California. But yeah. That makes sense. It's so like, terrible. I know. I feel like I'm missing out on like a big part of like culture by not fireflies and like they're really, really cool. Oh, like, but it makes sense because like they illuminate the night and such. And so the symbol yeah. makes sense. It's just like, dang, I freaking wish I had fireflies here so I can better understand it and like you have to go see some for sure. Ah, oh, definitely a life experience. Um, like a field of fireflies. Yeah, that is so cool. Um, so on the topic of like names and titles, how did you come up with the main character's name? Like KB is such an interesting name. How did I come up with that? Um, <laughs> so actually, um, you know, don't don't let my sister hear this because this Ooh. is going to just really, you know, stoke her ego. But KB, uh, the, her, her entire name is a playoff of my sister's um, name. Oh. So my sister's initials are KB. Mm -hmm. And um, KB actually stands for Kenyatta Bernice, mm -hmm. which Kenyatta I just came up with, I think. Uh, Bernice is very similar to my sister's middle name, which is Bernice, mm -hmm. which was my grandmother's name. Oh. 
So, yeah, so Kenyatta Bernice was like, uh, and then, you know, KB as a nickname was just really a rift off of my sister's name. I'm not really sure why. Um, KB is not really anything like my sister. She's more like me than she's like my sister. But, um, yeah, that's where it came from. Oh, that's so interesting. That is really cool. I, like, so that's something I really struggle with, like, when I write, um, just, like, random stuff. I always struggle oop, with, like, naming. And so mm -hmm. I'm curious because mm -hmm. I try to avoid like real life people as much as possible because I worry that I'll start to think about the real life person and it'll influence my character's personality. But yeah. why are you named? <laughs> it's like um, yeah. your your sister. I think that's like well, it was separate enough. It was you know because it's not her name. Right. And I don't call my sister KB even though those are her initials. So it was like it was separate enough. But I do the same thing. I name a lot of my characters like names of people that I know. Mm -hmm. And then like either later I have to like switch them out or like honestly there are like some names in this book that are like <laughs> very similar to names of real people. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think that some people will read this and and, and like kind of find themselves. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Cool. <laughs> it reminds me of like that um that disclaimer in the beginning of all books where it's like any oh, yeah. the living people is coincidence. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, coincidence. You're like, don't, don't <laughs> wink, wink. It's just a coincidence. Right, right, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I love that. Um, I just felt like names are really important. Um, mm -hmm. Like for people of color, it's really important. Like um, for my Lunar New Year event, uh, we're going to have to like practice pronouncing them correctly. And yeah. something really interesting is my name in English actually isn't pronounced like chi, like the hard CH. Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard to explain how to actually pronounce it. So I just like live with it, which I guess yeah. is kind of sad. Like I'm just settling. Yeah. Um, so I'll always have that kind of like foreignness, I guess, when people speak to me because that's not how my name is pronounced. Um, so I just yeah. thought names are really important. Like um, the fact that you chose this and she is your main character. And so I was just really curious <laughs> about that. Maybe you're yeah, you know, like, I love my sister. <laughs> I do love my sister, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I was, what I was thinking about, but you know, it's, um, Thank you for sharing what you said about your name. And it's interesting because actually, you know, Kai is, is not my first name. Kai mm -hmm. is my middle name. Um, I have a different first name, which I don't, which I'm not going to share right now. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll tell you off record. Um, oh, <laughs> secret, it's a secret first name. No, no, there's, uh, I love my first name. But I think that like when I was growing up, it was mispronounced so often mm -hmm. that um, I I just started to resent it. And I and I started feeling like, again, you know, representation, I started to feel like there was something wrong with my name, mm -hmm. as opposed to realizing that, like, people could have worked harder to, to pronounce my name, especially because I was, like, a little kid. And, you know, I had teachers who would mispronounce my name, you know, religiously, like, forever and ever, even right. if, you know, I tried to correct them. Right. Um, and that's frustrating. Um, you know, it's hard to feel like you are not yourself, like your identity is kind of like being wiped away. Um, so yeah, I think that that's super important. So far, all of the characters that I've written, I, I give them like, like black names, you know, like I give them like complicated names. And, you know, in the books that I'm writing right now, I have a whole scene where my character explains to her teacher how to pronounce her name, mm -hmm. uh, because it's something that's happening to her too. And I want to show that because that's an experience that we deal with, right? So definitely. Yeah. That's so, that's so interesting. Yeah, like, we talk a lot about, like, we being um, my friends and, like, the circles I'm in, which are mostly, like, Asian people and people of color who have complicated, quote-unquote, names. Um, and so we right. have, like, we call them Starbucks names because at Starbucks, they ask for your name. And so my Starbucks mm -hmm. name is, like, Alex. 
which is like, <laughs> because you can very clearly hear like the, the, the syllables are very clearly enunciated and like sharp enough. So like, I would totally name my dog Alex. So you can like yell it across the field and then the dog yeah. would yell. Versus like a name like Sam sounds like jam or ham, but Alex, I'm like, okay, oh, that's my Starbucks. And so that's like my Starbucks, my white people name. Cause like when they say chi, yeah. or, they'll even pronounce it like chai. And I'm like, okay, but where's the A? Like, I know y'all have yeah. chai on your yeah. name. That is not right. <laughs> You know what? That's so funny because I like I switched over to Kai and I'm like, all right, I'm going to give you all this simple name. And Kai still gets mispronounced so often. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, so cool. it's kind of just like, you know, I get I get K a lot or Kia. I get Kia a lot yeah, um, more than I would expect. So, yeah, you know, I don't know. I guess we can't win. Um, but, you know, my goal is just like to uh, become well known enough that that people will, will know how to pronounce my name. That is so cool. Yeah, like other other people can correct other people for me, and I won't have yes. to be involved in saying like, no, it's actually Kai. <laughs> yeah, like it's not it's not K, not Kia, not the car brand. Thank you. So <laughs> right. are switched. Hey, before I yes. yes. <laughs> oh, thank you for sharing that. I think it's something that not a lot of people talk about, and for people who have uncommon names, um, you you are important, and your name should be pronounced as it is. So important. Um, right. This is not really a good segue either. I'm a, I'm not very good at this, but I'm just like <laughs> you're great at this. This project for me is so self indulgent because I I like write for fun. Um, and I think mm -hmm. it's important for people who come from marginalized communities to share their voices. And so I'm like just really excited about being here. Um, but this question has to do also with like the genre that you've chosen. And so you mentioned that you usually you gravitate towards writing like realistic fiction. Mm -hmm. And so how or why did you end up writing a coming of age story? I love coming of age stories. Um, I I just think it's such a rich time of life. Like as as we're like in adolescence and we're like on the precipice of like kind of being a kid and like kind of not being a kid anymore and just trying to figure out what that means. I just feel like it's such a rich time. There's so much to be said about that that time of our lives. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I think there's something so beautiful about coming of age for. Black girls specifically, like, you know, I think that, you know, I could refer to it instead of beautiful as, as, as complicated, I guess, in the sense that, like, you know, coming of age looks different for, you know, um, for, for boys and for girls, I guess you could say, like, you know, traditionally, like, back in the day, you have, like, this classical literature, and there was this idea of, like, coming of age stories, or, or buildings, Roman, whatever stories, yeah. um, they were usually, like, about young white boys, right, yep, and they're, definitely. like, you know, we get all of these, like, hug fins, and, and those sorts of things, mm -hmm. and you already see that this is different if your character is not a male. Um, it's going to look different. Coming of age looks different inherently um, for, you know, women than, than men. And then it's, again, changed by, by Black folks, right? Because coming of age looks very different for Black folks when we're thinking about, you know, race, when we're thinking about um, class, when we're thinking about, you know, discrimination, ways that our childhood can't Low. We can't reach these same like, you know, points of understanding about the world or our place in the world because of some of these other things that are going on. Right. So I was just really interested in thinking about like, what does coming of age look like for a young black girl? How is it the same? How is it different? And, and I'm doing both of those things. Like I'm trying to point out how it's the same. And lots of people have already said like, 
reading KB's story feels very universal to them. Like it feels like it reminds them of their own childhood. And these are not just black women saying this, right? These are all kinds of people saying to me, you know, I had an older white man leave a comment um, on one of my social media saying like reading this book transported him back to his own childhood. And he Mm -hmm. felt like it was, you know, very universal and relatable. And that's the idea that, you know, I wanted to kind of show is that black girlhood is, 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 is regular childhood, right? <laughs> we don't have to think about it so separate. Um, and, I, and and that was the biggest thing to me is just wanting to write an unfiltered Black girlhood experience. Just, you know, it's it's first person, present tense. It's in KB's voice. It's through KB's eyes. Like there's nothing else but her perspective of the world around her at this really like important moment of her life. Oh, that is so cool. Gosh, I never thought about that where it's like traditional coming of age stories are very like white male dominated. I feel yeah. like I feel like a lot of writing and like literature that we study, like in even in high school, I took AP Lit and we just read a bunch of like, mm-hmm. if not about white people, it was by white people. And I was like, man, mm-hmm. I'm tired of this. Cause our whole classroom <laughs> was like yeah. was like, um, if if not like Asian, then they were like Latinx or like um, yeah. just like not white people. And so we were like, why are right. we doing this? Why are you? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> like, That's the question. This? Like we went into class and we we're like, all right, who's the white man of the week? Like, and then yeah. the teacher would laugh because he was a white guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's so, so cool and so important. Like, a lot of stuff about childhood is so universal. Like, you're just a yeah. kid. You're just a kid trying to explore the world. Um, and some of these themes, like, about growing up and navigating grief is, like, also universal. Like, gosh, kids shouldn't have to deal with that, but unfortunately they do. And, you know, all kinds right. of kids deal with that stuff. Um, right. so it's really cool. I don't really read a lot of coming of age just because I find them like so sad usually but um you know what I'm ready for this like just when we talk about it, I'm so excited like I I need this it's like midterm season so I need this like catharsis yeah so, yeah like, for sure like I'm like gonna close my door and be like all right if you hear if you hear screaming like it's fine <laughs> I'm okay yeah don't worry about it <laughs> I'm so excited to check out this book um so as we we're about to wrap up um and we're talking about your first novel. And so you mentioned that you're currently working on another novel. Like, mm-hmm. ooh, is that is that like a sequel or are you just writing like a new piece entirely? It's new, it's different. Um, this one is, um, it's still about um, a young black girl, but this one's older, she's 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's in high school and it's about, you know, it's a, it's, it's rooted in that kind of like high school experience. And um, and in that one, actually, I just finished up revising. So I am working on a, a third book now as well, which is um, is about a young Black woman who's more like early 20s and um, kind of on this journey of like figuring out what she wants to do with her life. Ooh, <laughs> so sick. Whoa, three books? Dang, Dr. Harris, you're on a roll. Oh, wow. I'm trying to be. <laughs> still writing regularly even though you have like like university and stuff now that's wow that's I am it's a lot but yeah. yeah do you consider sorry this is like so random but do you consider writing to be like are you still writing for pleasure or is it like a job that's so that's such an interesting question because I've been thinking a lot about this like I, I, I I've been saying like I need to get hobbies that aren't my job because <laughs> still when people ask me like what my hobbies are I'm always like oh reading and writing and mm-hmm. you know now both of those are are my jobs so um I do love I love writing though I yeah. still I still would choose to do it even if like when I go on vacations I write and people oh. are like oh no working on vacation and I'm like <laughs> 
I'm going to write when I'm on vacation because like being away, seeing new sites, having new interactions always makes me want to write. I just, you know, I just get that that creative itch. And sometimes it's just that I just, you know, I keep a travel journal and I just like to just journal about like what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing. So I try not to write like serious stuff when I'm on vacation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I love to, I love to read and write. But I'm also, you know, picking up some non-reading. Ooh, okay. Non-reading hobbies. Like, like what? Like, are you, are you picking up like crocheting or like video games or like what kind of stuff do you do? Um, I, I love to hike. Um, so especially since I've like moved here, I've been really Mm -hmm. getting into that. I just love to be outdoors. Um, I, I'm I'm, like trying to like get into hobbies. So we're, we're going to still see how it goes. I like, I really want to like be into art because Mm -hmm. I love it. I'm not super artistic, but I've been trying to like learn how to sketch a little bit. And um, I really like doing those like adult coloring books. <laughs> yes, no, I totally um, they're very yeah, they're very fun and cathartic. My friend bought me brought me one that's actually like uh, this is probably terrible because I'm a professor here, but it's like filled with curse words, and oh, so it's like these beautiful like pictures, and they're like so like elegant and then they just have like random weird like sayings in the middle and so it's just like this idea of it's just like really funny and ridiculous and it's cathartic like if you're just having like a long day and you just like color this beautiful beautiful word filled picture so yeah Yeah, like the f word but like in cursive and you're like oh Oh, yeah that's exactly it (laughs) <laughs> and then you just like paint it so beautifully or color it so beautifully yeah like in pastels and then you're like oh, no, no, no. yeah and like, exactly like, it's really <laughs> swearing like ah oh, perfect way to wrap up your day Absolutely. I think I got my friend a similar book for like Christmas like a like a secret Santa gift or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I'm like what a, what an interesting gift but that is so cool I love coloring too um I wait what was I gonna say we're talking about hobbies um I think I was going to say that, yeah, being in California, there's lots of, like, cool trails. I definitely mm-hmm. recommend Land's End in San Francisco. That one's fun. Um, okay. Because it's not it's not too, like, strenuous either. So um, I know you have, like, kids because your husband told me. So, like, yeah, you can definitely, like, bring them <laughs> along. Um, there are other ones. I don't – I'm not really an outdoorsy person. Yeah. Um, but my sister knows. So if you ever need, cool. I could I could get you a list. But um, in terms okay. of hobbies, yeah, definitely I was – asking this question because like you know work-life balance is important um mm-hmm. and so like if you consider like your hobby your work then it's like you don't yeah. have life balance you're constantly working and it's like you don't have time to recharge so yeah. I think it's it's really cool and like I love that you love to write like the fact that you write for fun and like when you're not supposed to be is <laughs> fascinating to me um, yeah. I'm trying to get into that mindset myself like just like finding it as like a way to spark joy in my life again um yeah. yeah so cool thank you for sharing that for um, sure. pretty much the last thing I have just like do you have any specific takeaways to share regarding your experience either about writing or about publishing I know we went over a lot so you don't have to like repeat yourself just like any any big things that you tell people if you have any um you know I I, I think the biggest thing is just like uh, if, if, if someone is is wanting to get into publishing, I'm, I'm going to mo- mostly tell them, like, learn everything you can about it. Cause, like, there's so much to know. And, you know, it can be hard to get all the information that you need. Honestly, I, I would say especially for writers of color um, to, like, just know what you're supposed to know. But there's a lot of things that you're supposed to know to even, yeah. like, get close to the door. So, you know, I just spent a lot of time researching, you know, um, I, I hope that like as my career continues, I'm, I'm going to work towards like creating more space for writers of color to 
like get the information they needed to know what they need to know. So that's something that I, you know, a goal that I, I have for myself because it was so complicated to like meet the right people and know the right things and say the right things and do the right things. So, yeah. you know, research is super important. Um, reading and writing are super important. Like you should just really, as much as you can, just be reading and, and be writing. Um, and, you know, ultimately I'd say the biggest thing is just like, stay true to, to you. If you, if you do get in a situation where you're able to, to publish, whether you decided to self-publish or traditionally publish, um, you know, just try to stay true to the thing that made you want to write in the first place. Um, yes. Yeah. I think that's just generally like genuine, good life advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like, don't compromise your own identity, um, I, this is something I say a lot um, just because I do like diversity, equity, inclusion work. Like as mm -hmm. we get, as we progress in technology, like airplanes are invented, we have the internet now, we're only going to live in a more diverse world. And so right. learning about that and learning about other people is only going to get more and more important. Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely really, really important. Um, and sure. so do you have any final words to share, like places to buy the book? shameless plug <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah I, you can buy the books almost anywhere which is Ooh. which is blowing my mind it's all over the place um people have been sending me photos of finding the book in different bookstores and i love that so if you're like if you follow me on social media author kai harris mm -hmm. i'm on um Every, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook. TikTok, as, um, yo, I'm opening. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't go look. It's not great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, author Kai Harris. I love to just hear people reacting to the book. And, you know, people have been tagging me and like finding the book in different bookstores, which is really cool. Someone like uh, saw it at the O'Hare Airport in Chicago, which was really exciting to me because like I have family in Chicago. I'm there all the time. And mm -hmm. I had no idea it was going to be like, available to buy oh, at an that is so cool. Um, yeah, it just feels really official. So yeah, but you can also um, check out my website, which is just kaiharrisrights.com. Mm -hmm. And on the website, um, I have all of the, the buy links and ways that you can um, get to the book there as well. Sweet. I feel like the website would also be a good resource for like keeping a tab on your future works. Well, I guess also for your social media. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, both, both, both yeah, both, both places. Um, there's tons of stuff on my website. Like you can, you can find all the other stuff that I've published. Like before I, I wrote this book, I've published, um, you know, short fiction. I've published poetry. I've published Ooh. essays, academic stuff. So you can find all of that on my website as well. And yeah, I, I, I keep a newsletter. Sometimes I blog. I, I try to keep people up to date on what I have going on as much as possible. Nice. <laughs> very good to know. Um, thank you for sharing your your socials. I think um sounds like the website is like your central hub. So definitely people should check that out. I will link that website in our like podcast description just awesome. as a reference um, because so cool. Um, I think that's pretty much it. I um I know that this is like a podcast episode and I have no idea how they end it, but I'll just say <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your time with me. We ended up talking for a lot longer than I expected, which is obviously just a good thing. Like, I'm super yeah. excited to have you here. Um, I hope you do, because this is my last quarter. I don't know why they, this is a secret, but not really a secret. Um, I was <laughs> hired for literally like one quarter and I was like, okay, thank you. Um, so I hope you do end up staying in touch with the office for multicultural oh, wow. learning. They do yeah. a lot of good work. Um, and we Absolutely. are trying to like engage with not only students, but like faculty. Um, my, me and one of my colleagues, we're working on something called like the FAM network, 
Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the FAM stands for off the top of my head. Um, it's really early. No, it's not early. It's 11. Um, so <laughs> don't quote me. But it's a network for people like faculty, alumni, um, basically adults who can act as mentors, like people of mm-hmm. color who can act as mentors for students of color. Um, and so we're trying to launch that just to like get it off the ground um, and try to get students more connected because yeah. um, it's important to see yourself in an adult and have that kind yeah. of voice, like a trusted adult who looks and sounds like you or understands where you're coming from. So if you're interested, oh, for sure. that is I love that. Thing. Um, we also have other stuff, definitely just like, I think people will keep in touch just because you're so cool. 